Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Pink Bike Podcast. Today we're going to be digging into the world of marketing in this episode, going over some of the hits, some of the misses, some of the things that made us excited about products that are coming out, and other things just made us cringe. With me, I've got Brian Park and Sarah Moore, and they've both spent time as marketeers. I think that's what you call it, right? Yeah. Marketeer, Brian? Yeah, marketeer. That was on our business cards. Yeah, head marketeer. So they've both spent time doing that, so they're going to have some insight. And I also have James Smurthwaite. He's probably seen more marketing videos than probably anybody in the world when it comes to mountain biking. Does that seem fair, James? Yeah, for better or for worse, that's um, the cross I have to bear. (laughs) Yeah, you've heard the word quiver killer way too many times. But before we dive into all that, we're going to get started with some news. So we'll turn it over to you, James. Thanks, Kaz. Um, First up and hot off the press is the new SRAM GX Axis. I'm pretty sure we're going to be allowed to talk about this by the time the podcast comes out. Um, everyone remembers the launch of the Axis. Um, it was about two years ago. Obviously, it, it works great. Uh, we've given it very positive reviews. But its $2,000 price tag at launch, unsurprisingly, put a lot of people off. It was only a matter of time before a cheaper version emerged, and now we have it thanks to GX Axis. This is a bit heavier, but essentially gives you the same wireless technology, this time for $600. That may seem a lot cheaper than the XX1 version, but that's also not including the dropper, so... Not exactly apples to apples, but definitely significantly cheaper. Yeah, we should to clarify some of the pricing. When it when XX1 Eagle first came out, you could only buy it as a group set. So if you want to split it up, now you can purchase um, just the derailleur and the shifter for GX Axis, and that goes for six hundred dollars, which is about two hundred dollars cheaper than um, XO1 Axis. So yeah, it's basically they're kind of selling it as an upgrade kit. So Brian, I know you're itching to settle a score with this one, but. <laughs> Before we get to that. Thank you for remembering. (laughs) Do you think that $200 difference, do you think that's going to be a tipping point and we're now going to be seeing a a, a significantly larger number of riders on uh, on wireless? I'm selling all of my investments in uh, in cable stops and housing. (laughs) (laughs) I think it's enough that more people will buy it for sure. You know, you got some people in America with their stimulus checks burning a hole in their pocket. They can buy a wireless electronic drivetrain now as an upgrade. It's still not cheap enough that it's going to be like a wholesale switchover, I don't say, wouldn't say. Um, but I think you'll see it on more complete bikes too. So I'm really con- curious to see uh, how how inexpensive it is on the OE side or how expensive it is on the OE side. Like if they can make it compelling on OE, they can make a big push there. Yeah, exactly. Like, I, you know, you might see this on a, say a $5,000 bike or something like that, which is still expensive, but not crazy expensive compared in the grand scheme of things. So yeah, we'll see right where it starts popping up kind of only on like those $10,000 bikes that you can get electronic mm-hmm. shifting. So yeah, it could bring that price point down quite a bit. And I think it's new and exciting still to have electronic shifting. And I mean, your handlebars look pretty clean. So I think there's going to be a lot of people that could be interested. It's a really, I think it's a really compelling talking point. It's a, it's a good reason to consider SRAM, to consider that that side of the fence. Um, hopefully, like we've been really impressed with the durability of of Axis, and I'm, it's I, I mean honestly to have a product that's that new and different, not really have any significant issues other than some of the ergonomics some people weren't into, me included. Um, the fact that it's as strong as it is 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 impressive, and I'm hoping that they keep some of that durability in in GX Axis. Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing, basically. It just has a steel cage instead of aluminum, so I don't see any reason. We'll, we have some on for, on test, so we'll see how it holds up in the long run, but there's nothing immediately that stands out as being, uh, yeah, bad 
It works. That's about as positive <laughs> I know. as yeah, yeah, it <laughs> yeah, it works. I mean, well, because it's it's like it's like a legit about it. technological marvel, and I was like, yeah, it works. I know it's because my brain already like dealt with Axis when it first came out, when I already talked about all the fancy bits of it, and now that the next one comes out and it's kind of the same, it's hard to talk about. But it is still just as exciting as the the fancy version. It's got all the cool little gadgets. It makes cool robot noises too. So that's the best part. Yeah. <laughs> Um, next up, we have the Turbo Levo from Specialized. With a new stump jumper released last year, it makes sense that Specialized would want to follow it up with an electric, electrified version soon after. The two models aren't completely identical. For one thing, the Levo runs a mixed wheel setup, but the numbers are close and the intended use pretty much remains the same. The big difference, of course, is the motor, which comes from Specialized Swiss facility, along with a 700 watt hour battery. That's pretty big. That should give you pretty significant range. Um, and all together, that brings the weight up to just under 50 pounds. The big number, though, with this one is the price. Um, it's pretty eye-watering, um, $13,000 or 15000 for the S-Works version. Kaz, you've posted your review. Does it justify that price? That's a hard one. The price is so high. Like when I had this bike, I didn't actually know the price until a couple of weeks um, before it launched. So in my mind, I'd, I'd figured it was expensive because it does have higher end components. It's an e-bike. They cost more than you know regular bikes. But I kind of had set the price tag at maybe 10 grand in my head just because in my mind, 10 grand is expensive. That's like how much expensive bikes cost. But then when they told me it was $13,000, I was like, oh, that's really expensive. Can you but, imagine spending $13,000 on a bike and it's not the S-Works version? I know it's pretty wild, right? That's, but if oh, I made a lot of money, me. yeah, maybe I need a raise so I can afford. But luckily, I can just ride it. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. The, you know, price aside, it's very, very good. Like it's, the, it is definitely the best e-bike that I've ridden so far. I obviously haven't ridden all the e-bikes out there, but I've ridden a good selection of the different motors, styles, and um, and different concepts that exist. And this one is the bike that it's. It just lets. It feels like a regular bike, but obviously you have the motor. Um, motor assist so you can climb up some ridiculous stuff you can go for a long time like i have one loop that's around five thousand vert by the time i'm done it only takes me a couple hours so um yeah i mean they're definitely like i, I said it's that's the benchmark because not for the price it does set a really high bar for the price but overall performance this is what i think uh where this category is going and other companies are going to be trying to emulate this it really really works then yeah it really really works it's super quiet <laughs> Like it, and I was out a couple times with buddies that have, um, say, Shimano's EP8 motor system, and we'd both be trying to climb up the same thing. And you can notice how much better the power delivery is in this motor. So, um, yeah, they did a great job with it. You're selling me on e-bikes now. I, <laughs> I want to go ride this e-bike. Yeah, I, I mean, I recommend it. Not every day because it, you don't need to ride e-bikes every day because regular bikes are sweet too. I wouldn't get rid of how, my... How often do you ride your e-bike, Kaz? Twice a week. Oh, is that the limit you've set yourself? Pretty much, yeah. I ride e-bikes two days a week, and then I ride regular bikes five days a week. Life is hard. It's rough. <laughs> Over in Bellingham. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of times I do two rides a day also. Like, I like to go ride the regular bike in the morning and then the e-bike in the afternoon, and that's pretty good, too. I'm just going to go back to my spreadsheets now. Yeah, you do that. Sometimes I go skiing. <laughs> I like to ski in the morning, and then I go e-bike after, because the e-bike's a little easier on the legs, so I can, like, spin out the ski legs after. It's, it's really I'm hard. Find, I think I'm going to find some spreadsheets for you to help me with. <laughs> I do plenty of spreadsheets. The days are long. I got lots of time. It's fly out to like 7.30 now. I know, it's so good. Yeah. But anyways, yes, it's a good bike. It's also very expensive. We'll see where things go in the future. Hopefully not as expensive. 
does it feel like the stump jumper it's, it's supposed to emulate or does the weight make too big of a difference there? Uh, it feels better. I mean, because you have a 38 on the front and you have that float X2 and then with the weight low, like you can smash things so hard. It definitely feels more, feels like a more aggressive bike than the stump jumper Evo does. Um, and that adjustability is cool. Like I have it set in the pretty slack. It's like 63.5 head angle somewhere around there. So yeah, it does a lot of cool things. Brian, we also saw your staff ride this week. Uh, this is the Roma Donny. I think you've mentioned it a few times in the podcast. And you've now built it up um, for a version that you're hoping to last for the next decade. Um, why was that important for you? Uh, honestly, just because we we do a lot of staff rides and we see a lot of athlete builds and things. And a lot of people build things like they're going to uh, sell them at the end of the year, which they're going to do. Um, so it was just it was just a fun little little process. I think a bunch of people are annoyed that I'm eventually going to sell it but um you know it is also my job to be up on new bikes and things so i will eventually sell it before 10 years um but it's a beast it's a really really sick bike and and it will i'm have no doubt that it's going to be a good bike for people to ride whoever has it to ride it in in 10 years yeah i guess nine years now so how did you go about future proofing it um when we normally see people you know renew their bikes every let's say three to five years something like that i was surprised we ran a poll after um and asked people when they re uh, replaced their bikes and it was cool to see that a lot of people are in that sort of four to ten year kind of that's when they replace a bike which i think is a good there are technological enough technological leaps right now in the bike industry that you can ride a bike into the ground and then five years later it's like holy shit this is a big improvement over my last bike um yeah 10 years is a long time imagine I, i've never i've obviously never been one to do that just because i've always had bike shop jobs and industry stuff but it, i can't imagine having a 10 year old bike and then hopping on a new one that's gonna be a pretty cool feeling what would what would you have right now if you if you had a bike from 10 years ago you'd have a 2011 i think i had a 2011 specialized enduro Mm-hmm. Jump that from that to a modern like, enduro. Oh, how would yeah. that be? It'd be amazing. I think that one had like a what fork did it have on? It had like a single and a solo air or something or other. Yeah, I don't even know if I had a dropper post initially on that. So mm -hmm. yeah, it'd be so many changes. Like, yeah, I didn't have a dropper post on my bike in twenty ten. Yeah. Yeah. I think I had a front derailleur too. So yeah, it'd be like that <laughs> that gap from twenty ten to now is a pretty cool change if see if people are making that upgrade. It's it, they're in for a good treat. I had an Element MSL, Rocky Mountain Element MSL, with 26-inch wheels and a front derailleur, and a and a white Fox fork. Uh, the white fork was perfect. Yeah, they, yeah. I'd like to see another white um, trail fork. It'd be good. Yeah. The Anyways, I, white. I um to answer your question, I uh, I basically just chose things that I thought would last that long that were I definitely prioritized longevity over weight and the bike is really really heavy it's 36 and a half pounds um no carbon except it turns out I was, I was trying to do no carbon at all but i found out that my seat has my seat has a carbon shell and it's a very comfortable seat so i'm not getting rid of it just for dogmatic reasons um i you know wear items will wear but other than that i'm moderately confident uh so the wheels are maybe a little bit on the light side, but I was just trying to do anything I could to keep this thing from ending up 40 pounds. Are you predicting maybe less um, like technological change in the next 10 years and you think that'll keep it relevant? I think bikes are in a really good place right now. I think that there will be 
a bunch of technological change in the next five years. I think a lot of them, a lot of the bike industry's efforts are going to be into e-bikes for the next five years, eight years. So I don't think we're going too crazy on, you know, we're not going to get rid of another derailleur kind of thing. Um, <laughs> I hate me. Maybe, no maybe your boxes are coming. Maybe <laughs> your boxes are coming next year. I don't know, but um, yeah, I think bikes are almost stable-ish, and a bike like this, it's in a good place. It's it's a very overbuilt frame. Um, it's not going to hold people back. I think we should do this podcast again in ten years and look back at this day and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see, if, see how Brian's bike holds up. Yeah. I mean, I do think, I mean, yeah, your, your build is nice and, and solid and good. And I think it'll hold up pretty well. And you could always tweak it if you need to do like geometry adjustments with the, you can stick some stuff in there if you want to go super slack in the future if things keep going slacker. But I think it's a good place to kind of push the pause for a few years and see how it settles out. Would you, what would you have done differently? Probably not a lot. I mean, yeah, you put all the good stuff on there. So there's not really anything that, yeah. that I wouldn't, I wouldn't have skin wall tires cause those are hideous and oh, I would have put soft so compound because I like sticky tires and you didn't mm-hmm. pick the stickiest. But, um, other than that, I probably wouldn't have that tie cage either. Cause I like side loading bottle cages, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, otherwise it's pretty much, I can't really go wrong with anything you put on there. Um, can you talk us through some of the 3d printed bits you did? What did I do? Um, I did some boring things like headset spacers. Uh, and then the w- one thing that about that frame that I really don't like is the, uh, brake routing, the rear brake routing. It, um, it goes under the chain, the non-drive chain stay between the bottom bracket and the, and the swing arm and then up into the, uh, or up through the down tube from there. And it really, it pulls a lot of, of housing because it's away far away from the main pivot. The further you get, you run your cable from the main pivot, the more, cable gets pulled as the bike goes through its travel and um because it's so far away it routes down quite a ways away it um yeah it it causes a big loop and with the goodridge hose i'm using it's six mil instead of five mil and the and the um cane creek bottom bracket is extra big for um again it's a long-lasting bottom bracket theoretically so it does not fit that six mil housing does not fit between the bottom bracket and the swing arm. So originally I had it just kind of home brewed, um, on the outside. Instead, I 3d printed a, a guide for the top of the chainstay, non-drive chainstay. And then I, the main pivot has this huge plug, this, or this huge void. It's just a massive axle hole. And I made a plug that, um, pressure fits in there. It takes a lot of effort to get it in. And then zip tied the the brake routing through there, and so now the now the brake line runs directly through the main pivot, um, and hopefully theoretically it um, that makes it not pull as much cable. It's similar to like Specialized did that on the stump jumpers. Who else did that? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think, I like think Transition has it, but a yeah. couple. Yeah, it's a cool placement, and it looks clean too. Like your little plug mm-hmm. looks nice, and you said frick chores. I think you're yeah, put some words in there. So yeah. yeah, yeah. On the other side, I'm gonna eventually make another uh, a cap on the other side of that axle thing, and a little door so that I can open and close it and put snacks in there and stuff. And I think like on the other tiny s- door. Like yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like, the like a little, of this. <laughs> little bird yeah. door. Uh-huh. I think on the other side it'll just say not drugs. 
beef jerky because it's like already round. You can just fill your main <laughs> sausage beef idea. jerky. Landjägers, that's what they call them. They're like the perfect size. Yeah, the Landjäger sausage. And they won't rattle too much because it's it's like not too hard. Yeah. So yeah, <laughs> that's gonna be good. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, yeah, it was fun. I'm I'm I really am enjoying the 3D printing stuff, and it's it's to the point where I feel like if I didn't have one, it would be annoying. Huh. Yeah, that's cool. It's become that useful. Mm-hmm. Probably oh, better sure. I don't have one. I'd turn out like you would not sleep and just 3D print stuff all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, so Dave from Matter Hackers is a, is a mountain biker, the, the company that makes that 3D printer, and he sent it up to me on loan. And unfortunately, I now like it so much I have to buy it. So good job, Dave. You did it. <laughs> <laughs> I was staying on all things uh, techie and nerdy. Um, not many people read this, but Seb Stott did a great interview with Laurie Greenland's coach, Ollie Morrison. Um, to sum it up, they were talking about the trend we've seen in World Cup races of them starting to use lighter or faster rebound tunes after they've tested with telemetry. So because of improvements in suspension damping, changes in geometry and different riding techniques, riders can now use the suspension to tackle smaller, high-speed repeated hits with a faster rebound without the bucking sensation of before. Um, It's definitely not as simple as whack up your rebound and you'll be faster, but it's definitely a trend we're seeing and it's, it's, um, it's interesting that it's taken telemetry to show riders this. Kaz, have you, um, since reading that article, tried um, experimenting with anything like this? Uh, not since reading the article, but I've done experiments before. Um, I went out with Ibis at one time for with the Ritmo or the latest version of the Ritmo because they actually got that motion instruments um, that had a motion instruments came up as well, Rob. And we did some testing and looked at the data and just kind of see how everything was balanced and working out. And the tune they ended up on that Ritmo was a lot faster. Um, I didn't get along with it to some extent. Like it was too fast for me, but I do think there is merit to a faster rebound. Like, in general, I tend to run my rebound pretty quick, but I'm sure if you were chasing seconds, maybe even a little bit faster could be um, could be beneficial. But I think the the benefits of that telemetry it's becoming more accessible, and you can really make sure that your your fork and your shock are nice and balanced. And I think for these high level athletes, that's going to be important. I feel like I remember you using the words "borderline unsafe" about that tune. So is that are yeah. we talking about the same thing? It's the same thing, but you can I, like you can run faster, re, like. Yeah, that tune I didn't get along with more on the jumps and things. But if I was racing downhill and it was like that tune on A-line was not, it was very bad. Like didn't work well for me just because it got so kicky. But I think that, um, I think a lot of riders do run the rebound too slow in general. Like they just, I mean, Levy's not here to defend himself, but he runs his rebound so slow that it doesn't, like it just sits and gets stuck. So I think if you have a little quicker rebound, it can be beneficial. But it's more a matter of balancing. Like you said, it's not, you shouldn't just turn your rebound off and think that you're going to be a lot faster. But it's worth experimenting with because a couple clicks, you can take a run, see if it makes a difference. Lastly, um, we want to pass on some healing wishes to Greg Menard, who announced he'd caught COVID this winter. Um, he's apparently recovered from the virus itself, um, but is still feeling weak and struggling to train at full capacity. He's documenting his journey back to full fitness on social media. Um, if you want to follow along and we've all got our fingers crossed that his training isn't too disrupted after his incredible season last year. Diving into the questions. The first one comes from PDX kid and he says, he didn't listen to our last podcast. PDX kid, come on. They're not that long, but he says, sorry if this has been addressed. What about e-bike versus normal, regular acoustic, awesome bike climbing a kit. For example, if I'm climbing single track and an e-bike is behind me wanting to pass, what's the protocol? 
I'm of the mind that I'm not going to pull over, especially if it's a difficult section, since it's hard to get going again. I think they should buy their time and wait until trail widens, or at least politely ask to pass. I've been buzzed and even dethroned on a climb. Dethroned? I don't know if I've ever been dethroned while riding. <laughs> you don't wear a <laughs> person. you ride? <laughs> yeah. I'd need to be throned first, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, dethroned on a climb by a person e-bike without so much as a warning. I get mad when this happens. With the rise of e-bikes, this scenario is becoming more and more frequent. I think this the answer to this just goes back to our don't be a jerk thing. Like if you come up on someone, you should be at least alerting them to your presence. I don't think passing without saying hey is the way to do it. And you shouldn't just buzz by. So it seems pretty simple. No matter what bike they're on, like yeah. even if they're not on an e-bike, if they're a super fast pedaler and they came behind you, at the very least they should wait for a nice place to pass. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I feel like it's exactly the same. If I don't know, Jeff Kabush or some local XC pro came up on me, I would try and get out of their way as quickly as I could. But I would also be pissed if they elbows out just smashed past. Yeah, exactly. I don't think. Yeah. So again, just be nice out there, everybody. I don't, but I don't, I don't think that you should feel high and mighty and not try and get out of the way when possible, just because you're there on an e-bike. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't really matter that much. Like they're not, yeah, don't, don't say, oh, you're an e-bike. I have the right of way. It's, I mean, they're, they, they can go faster than you. Obviously they have a motor. So if it's somewhere, just don't cause issues and yeah. And obviously wait for a nice, easy place to pass and they can just, it's, it's just like, you. don't drop in, in, in front of somebody who's fast on a scent, who's faster than you. Like, you know that they're faster than you. Why wouldn't you let them go first? Yeah. And what? if somebody catches up to you on the downhill or the climb, you just like find a safe place to pull over and let them pass. And hopefully they say hi and yeah. Don't push you in the dirt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So be nice, no matter what people are on out there. Also, don't stab somebody. <laughs> right, no stabbing. <laughs> yeah. Maybe uh, we missed that in the news because it just came in. But James, do you want to quickly mention that? Um, yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, God, pretty bad timing after we spent an hour talking about it last week. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's in Bellingham, I guess, pretty local to you, Kaz. Um, there was a mountain biker going up a trail. There were some hikers coming down the trail. Uh, and then there's kind of two versions of events as to what happened next. Um, but neither party yielded and ended up with the mountain biker going home with stab wounds. Um, and the hiker has been arrested on counts of first degree assault. Um, it's just not worth it, is it? Like, just... <laughs> It's yeah, just no matter, like what pulling over for two seconds. Like, <laughs> sheesh. Yeah. Don't stab. And we'll get into some common gold related to that. But overall, the, the moral of the story is don't stab. Be nice. Just have fun out there in the woods. Just chill. And see, let's go to our next comment. This comes from Vapito Scar. He has a lot of comments, I think, too. But he asks all of us. Um, he says, if you were to buy land or for your own trails, just for you and whoever you deem worthy, would that be or what would be the minimum vertical and minimum acreage to make it worth your time? And also, what would we, I don't know about this one. Sub question, would that answer change if you were to do an Airbnb situation like a Pilot Cove? I don't know what Pilot Cove I think, is. Does anybody I think that's that, is that the guy that has that island with the with a bike park out in the San Juan Islands? I don't know. Oh, we should have researched this before yeah, doing probably. the question. Sorry, yeah. sorry, Oscar. Yeah, we'll learn about Pilot Cove. But <laughs> yeah. if I had land, I don't really need much land to have a good time. I'd, if I had like an acre, I'd just build some sweet dirt jumps and be really happy. It could be dead flat and I'd be fine. What if you were going to build like a, a actual, oh, a UK trail center? <laughs> like, um, where would you do it? I mean, I could probably do that here in Bellingham too. If I could find 10 acres, like 10 acres, you could probably make a fun. It wouldn't be like a full on trail center, but you could make some cool little loops. Oh, I stuff. think that there are trail centers on a lot less than 10 acres in the UK. 
I don't know how much uh, an acre is, so I've, I've not yeah. it, but yeah. It's like <laughs> it's four furlongs in a stone. Yeah. It's the it's the distance the queen can throw her tea, so it changes with every generation. Age. <laughs> yeah, probably not. How much acreage would you have, Sarah? Well, I mean he says like how much vertical as well. And I feel like you don't need actually as much vertical as you would think to make like a fun little like downhill mm-hmm. jump trail that you could just like kind of evolve as you evolve like you can make the berms higher or the jumps bigger and like if it's your trail you can kind of help you can have it evolve as you evolve as a rider um i i don't know like an acre a couple acres (laughs) yeah did any of you guys like when you were growing up because you grew up out east did you have like a spot you built at that kind of evolved with you as you kind of got became a better rider and you started I wish like I did. building I had, a bigger, bigger drop or whatever. I had jumped like a couple jumps, but they were so bad. Like looking back at pictures of them now, they're the worst little kid built jumps you could ever have. Like I didn't really know about jumping. I'd never seen good like trail style dirt jumps or anything until I was, until I moved to Colorado really. So I had no idea what I was doing. I wish I had a better yeah. Yeah, resource. You? Well, I was too busy, you know, doing intervals in my Lycra, but <laughs> my, my brother for one of his birthdays, maybe he was like, 11 or 12 or something he asked for like a truckload of dirt and a backhoe (laughs) and he is he and his friend built like three dirt jumps and then I was like those are terrifying I could never ride those and by the time that I finally was like oh I could I could try jumping they'd got like huge gap jumps and everything (laughs) and I was like huh I wish I'd evolved with you guys like I should have started you know jumping earlier so I find whenever I go sessioning now, it's like with a bunch of 10-year-old boys. And I'm like, ah, I had the opportunity when I was actually, you know, only two years older than these 10-year-old boys. So, yeah, I I missed out. But, yeah, my brother had a couple. He also had a little track down our hill that evolved with him. So, you know, I just just was too into the spandex. I could have been such a good jumper by now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I will say that the skill level of 10-year-old boys in Squamish right now is annoying as hell. (laughs) <laughs> they're yeah. very good <laughs> yeah same here in bellingham boys and girls like there's the, just the kids here it's nuts how good they are now so um yeah but yeah for a yeah the pete oscar you don't need a ton of i need how do we we need to ask him one of these days how you actually say his name because i always i think what, it's vapid oscar i'm vapid sure oscar. Vapid oscar. all right vapid they're two oscar. regular words but i know vapido scar sounds vapido scar i'm gonna call him vapido i like that yeah either way vapido scar you don't need a ton of land uh you know, basically build a pump track if you don't have a ton of land over and you'll have a good time for many years. That wraps up the questions. Now it's time to dive into our topic for the day, marketing hits and misses. And we'll kind of, we got some caveats. Brian wants us to say that we're sorry if we hurt anyone's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> I'm probably not very sorry, but- Kaz is sorry. <laughs> you don't need to be sorry. I'm sorry. Sarah and I, uh, in our previous life, lives were marketing. I, I worked for Rocky Mountain and Sarah worked for Norco and before that Specialized. Specialized Canada, so, yeah. Yeah. So we know, like, we know how hard it is to, to do something good and creative and effective on the marketing side. And we know, like, pressure marketing people are under to do things that are different or, like, the limitations they have, budgets or otherwise. So, like, yeah, bad. There is some bad marketing out there. Um, it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that it's a bad product. It doesn't mean that the people involved are bad people or whatever. And actually, I don't know. <laughs> Some of these examples, not so much, but others of them, like bad marketing might actually be good because we're talking about it now. So it might still be effective. I don't know. I think the worst I think the worst thing 
is the marketing that's just nothing. The marketing that, you know, launching a bike with Quiver Killer or whatever horrible, bland, nothing campaign in 20, you know, that's the worst. It's just nothing opposite of interesting. So none of these things are that. Yeah, exactly. At least, yeah, like you said, we're still talking about them. We still remember these, even if it was six or seven years ago. So they did something, whether it was what they meant to do, that's what we'll kind of go over. But at least they put their necks out. Yeah, exactly. Might as well start out with some misses, though. I think the one that I thought, one that came to mind was Giants marketing of 27 five inch wheels as the best thing ever. This is back in 2014 when kind of the jury was out whether or not 27 five inch was going to stick around, 29 inch. But they came out with all this. You guys remember the charts that they had? Yeah, they had, they like had the, different a full sides. white paper. Yeah. Like they <laughs> did a full, took out a two-page ad in Bike Mag that was like a white paper on how 29-inch wheels were the worst. Yeah, it was a whole like best of both worlds thing. Uh, I think one of the marketing guys there, in the interview we did with him, he said that, what did he say? He said, if the market progresses the way we believe it will, 29-inch will be phased out in approximately two years. So those words didn't phase didn't work out well it's funny because i remember like when i was specialized they also had their own white papers comparing the 29 inch wheel to the 27 and a half inch wheel and being like you know 27 and a half isn't that different to 26 because of the rolling and so yeah it's kind of funny like how how the companies will just kind of like go into their own white papers do you think if they'd been right and like 29 inch wheels did get phased out we'd be here now like a giant they were so smart and so clever. Like, how did they have the foresight? <laughs> no, we'd be making fun of Specialized. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, I mean, you know, I think, I think often brands are trying to, you know, they have to sell what they've got. And Specialized was, was late to the, to the 29 inch wheel party too. No, they were late to the 27 oh, Sorry, yeah. backwards. Yeah. Which is fine. Cause they were correct, but then they had to like go back yeah. a little bit because people were saying 27, five yeah, is the future. So they, mm-hmm. They kind of had to backtrack. They begrudgingly made 27.5-inch wheel bikes when they already were ahead of the curve. Oops. Yeah. They were ahead of the curve 29-inch. I always heard the speculation on that was was in some part to, due to them having a huge amount of just 27.5, or uh, sorry, 29-inch wheels. Because, you know, they made they made all the stuff and they just, they had their, their lineup and their 10-year plan or whatever and hard to hard to change so and i guess giant was probably the same they had they'd made a decision and they were trying to make it a self-fulfilling prophecy yeah yeah i don't yeah james back to your question i don't know if we'd still be talking about if they had been right i think we would have forgotten about this marketing campaign i think when things flop like that like this or they're so obviously didn't come true i think we remember more than if they were saying we got the next best thing and then they do but (laughs) yeah yeah yeah, and that same lines, things, other things that didn't quite come true. Do you guys remember when Shimano had those ads? I think it was a series of video kind of bike checks, and it was all of the different pro racers touting the benefits of their two-by drivetrains, like with their front mm-hmm. derailleur. I don't remember this, but it sounds awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty funny. I think it was, um, is it Francois Bailey-Maitri? Is that? Mm-hmm. He, yeah, he was kind of one of the, he used a front derailleur a lot longer than a lot of other pros, and they, they made sure to have him in there showing off his front derailleur. And this is right when one-by drivetrains were just absolutely taking off, so... It's kind of funny to see. You could just really to see that they were trying to hold on to that front derailleur. Like, yeah, it's not going to work. But I mean, they did make an excellent front derailleur. They were very good at what they were supposed yeah, to do. Exactly. For a front <laughs> derailleur, like they did make a good front derailleur. <laughs> Arguably the best front derailleur. But oh. um, because you don't need one, that was yeah. why it was kind of silly. Yeah. I feel like I feel like this one's maybe unfair. It's going a little far back. But while we're on the Shimano, Shimano topic, the 
Do you remember the dual control? Sarah's favorite dual control yeah, Sarah love it. campaign. Love yeah. It. <laughs> <laughs> the, the the with that launch, it was it was something like who has time to break and then shift or something like that. Mm, yeah. That was like a the big launch campaign, and um, yeah. I feel like it had Thomas Vanderham or Wade Simmons. I think it was Thomas Vanderham. Um, yeah, and like, oops. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember like when. SRAM kind of got the one by market. They did their ad where they were like, and we've killed the front derailleur. So I feel like Shimano kind of like with, if they had those ads, yeah, Yeah. (laughs) they responded to the Dubai ad. Mm -hmm. That that was a marketing hit for me, that one. Like the fact that we still remember like the RIP, the front derailleur and all of that, like, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, the bold claims stand out. Like there's a good way to kind of flex and be like, hey, we did this. And then it lets everybody else. Yeah. So maybe... So maybe Giant should have just done RIP the 29-inch wheel and not done the big white paper where they showed how many different ways they could be wrong. Yeah, exactly. Less science and then less likely Back to be called out. Back from the dead, the 29er <laughs> wheel. Yeah. <laughs> um, the ones ones I thought of were um, when like e-bikes were, were quite early on, they talked a lot about uphill flow. Um, the implication being that, you know, an e-bike was almost more fun to ride uphill than down and that was where people would get the most enjoyment out of them. Turns out people just want like a self-shuttle thing that gets them to the top as quick as possible. They're still not particularly bothered about the sort of the the um, experience of riding to the top. They just want that bit of extra power, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it goes both ways. I think uphill flow just seems weird, but like, yeah, obviously e-bikes are good both ways, but the uphill flow, I think that was a Bosch marketing campaign and they even advertised like uphill flow trails maybe in Germany. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was the that. thing that was weird. That seems <laughs> like extra, extra uh, German, like, oh, we have the uphill flow trail. Like, I don't know about that. Like, then the two-way uh, riding trails get really complicated. This <laughs> yeah, is the exactly. uphill flow trail, guys. You can't go down this. <laughs> yeah, one of those uphill jumps, like jumps to uphill yeah. landings. Oh, it's gosh. all step ups. So you can just like... Just dangerous <laughs> dance somewhere got so yeah. happy. Yeah. I'd actually be into that. If they made a trail, those all step ups that you had to like, That'd be weird. But either way, yeah, uphill flow is kind of weird. <laughs> Did you just invent a perpetual motion machine? I think like so. Somehow the you, concept, the, and you broke the laws of thermodynamics? Well, no, because I'd have a motor, so the energy would be happening there. But like, if you could step up, step up, step up, and turn around and step down. Like, this sounds like something. when you get your one acre of land, the trail that <laughs> yeah, is going to... Actually, <laughs> I feel like, I feel like uh, we didn't mention this in the hits, but wasn't that essentially a, I think it was a Cannondale... Oh yeah, they did do that with where they did the like perpetual up and down Uh thing. Yeah, didn't come out quite as well as I thought it should have, but I like the concept. And moving on from fighting the inevitable, there's also a lot of outlandish, exaggerated claims that get thrown around. The one that sticks out to me was uh, Bontrager Wave Cell. That's like a twofold one for me because at first you had like the build up, and they talked about. I think it was something like, "Oh, it's been 30 years since the first carbon bike, and this is the next." sort of step in in bike technology and i think a lot of people were a bit disappointed to find out it was um, a rotational protection system and then we you know we probably can't say too much about the performance but the claims were pretty substantial and then um the the helmets got beaten in virginia tech riding rankings by a load of mips helmets um so yeah um quite a lot of claims made by waycell not sure we've seen them um justified yet yeah, it was a lot of just kind of like hype that didn't really need to be there. And and because they touted it as this, yeah, they even said it was like the next great advancement in mountain bike technology. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was something and like, oh, it's a helmet? Huh. Like, okay, that's good. But I mean, it's still a half shell helmet. It's not going to protect you from everything. And 
So yeah, I'd say that didn't go quite as well as they thought. And that's a hard one because it did, the marketing did its job. We, you know, when those emails came through, like, please attend this launch, we, you know, these are credible people telling us that they think it's the next huge leap forward in mountain biking. We sit up and pay attention. It, it did the thing. We were very, very interested and I'll disagree with you guys a little bit. If it was something that truly did change the game in terms of, in terms of eliminating concussions and, and, and head safety, like that's, that is a huge deal. It's a huge deal. Like, yes, it's just a helmet, but it is a huge deal. I get why they wanted to address it and say those things in that way. But like, yeah, it, it didn't, didn't pan out. Yeah, too many of the things. Like when you start looking closer, it's like, ah, it's not quite there. Like, not that it's an unsafe helmet. No, it's a good you know, helmet. While the testing, it looks fine. And They're hot. A, They're good. They're just yeah, too heavy and hot. They just had some issues that didn't quite. But but it, yeah, either, the way, either way, the way they hyped it up so much, there was no way, it didn't seem like a way it could have lived up to that. But It almost would have been better if they didn't hype it up. We would have been like, oh, holy shit, look at these numbers of like, wow, like this actually has the potential to reduce concussions. Like, it almost would have been better if they'd understated it. Yeah, sometimes it's tricky when the marketing team kind of takes over from the the scientists or designers or engineers and then the, the tra- it gets lost in translation or they get excited and kind of turn into their own words, which might not be what the original intent was. Sarah, I don't know about your experience, but my experience was the opposite, was that it was always the, the R&D folks or engineering product people who were saying these like, super lofty goals and super lofty um like you know putting that those words on the wall and the marketing team is always like can we justify this like is that truly accurate and and trying to temper that a little bit was that your experience at at your previous jobs yeah yeah no i think that's a good point it's like obviously the product team you know they're not trying to like lead anybody on they are trying to make the best product that they can and you kind of want to like basically when you're marketing the product that they've just created you're trying to help them get this out to more people but you also have to just really understand what the product is doing and if they can't explain to you in a way that other people can understand as well that's <laughs> like okay so what is actually different what have you actually spent the last like three years doing um or ideally they're kind of, they involve you like throughout the three-year process, but yeah, it's pretty hard to like tell them, you know, this isn't as exciting as you think it is, or I think we need more information or like, it might make sense for from an engineering standpoint, but it's really hard to market this. So yeah, <laughs> oh, never easy. I, I feel like I have PTSD right now. I just got this like, oh, <laughs> I was just sitting in a boardroom with like engineers yeah. and the marketing team and nobody's agreeing and <laughs> yeah. All the meetings. <laughs> yeah. I feel like there are too many like exaggerated outlandish claims to even mention. Like the, the Bontrager wave cell one is, is there, but there are way worse ones. I'm just trying to think of, I don't know. Can you think of anything that's worse? Cause that one was, it was out there, but it wasn't that bad. There have been way worse. Just everybody who says, you know, that the, everybody's new suspension system is the most perfect ever. And yeah, I think Polygon with their nailed suspension design when that first came out, it was another one where there's like kind of a lot of secrecy around it and then didn't want to say all the numbers at first. They're just like, this is going to totally change everything. So I think that was one that sticks out. 
there's a company out there that I won't even say their name just because I don't think they need any more press, but they, uh, they refuse to give out their geometry numbers okay. because they think it's a, they think it's proprietary and special. So there's a company that expects you to buy their bike and they don't give you uh, geometry numbers, which I think that's just absolutely ridiculous. And I won't even say the name because they don't deserve it. And they, no, you're not allowed to say their name because I'm not they, going to. No, they because they, they, oh, yeah, they might try they, to sue us. Too. Trying, <laughs> they said that they might sue us because their name imagine. Yeah. Yeah, either way, ridiculous that a company wouldn't give out their geometry numbers because they think they're so special. But um, that's marketing gone wrong, I would say. Well, I'm always surprised with how many of these press releases that come through have, like, no technical information on the product. And it's kind of like, well, you can kind of say these phrases about the product, but, like, what what do you mean? Like, what have you actually done? Like, tell us something. Like, this little one-minute video that you've given us doesn't really tell tell the whole story or maybe it does and that's a problem because how are you selling your product (laughs) yeah i really like when people just don't when everything is just like here are all the details i i I think one of the reasons i bought that raw madonna was that on the website ruben the, the guy behind raw has just so much technical information about how to set it up you know, why he designed things the way he did in really, really subtle little things like, hey, you know, I designed all of the surfaces um, with um, fillets to like, everything kind of falls off the bike or out from the bike. It's not, there's no places for mud to get stuck in the bike or sit in little holes and things. All of the detail-oriented stuff that was real you know, had real rider benefits versus having a bunch of three letter acronyms and a bunch of, um, you know, everybody, everything has to have like a technology and then a, and then a trademark symbol next to it or whatever. Like he was just like, no, I made it this way so that it would have less mud. He didn't call it like MST trademark mud shedding technology, you know? Ooh, you yeah. thought of that fast. You worked on a yeah. couple of marketing teams there, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think almost like if companies spent more time addressing their frequently asked questions pages rather than making all these other things, because that's what makes, you know, when I'm looking at a product, if I can just look at the details, go through the frequently asked questions, and then I'm like, oh, I know about it. That makes more more compelling to me than some just super vague, flashy, strange campaign. But, um, but yeah, there's. I mean, obviously, everyone's trying to stand out, so there's different ways. There are like the way there's that, some TLAs that work, like the uh, specialized CLA. I don't know all the lingo. Three-letter acronym. Oh, damn it! <laughs> <I> know, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's a joke, but yeah. I know. Yeah, I get it. But, I mean, yeah. <laughs> but like SWAT, you think of SWAT, right? For yeah. Specialized, like that's a good three-letter or four-letter acronym, I guess. Ooh, mm-hmm. you got the TLA wow. and then you counted it. So I just three <laughs> letters. <laughs> four-letter acronym. Yeah. 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 Um, I get, yeah. Moving on from things that didn't quite work out well as well. I think one thing that luckily we see less of these days is just sexist, uh, you know, overtly sexist ads. Luckily, that's not as prevalent and hopefully just goes away. But we all remember the Marzocchi ads back in the day. I think Specialized had a cringy one with the uh, a nurse saying, "Hope you get sick soon." Yeah, it was like this soon. the new carbon demo, and then the nurse scantily clad was like pumping the tires, and it said, "Get sick soon." And I I remember I was working at Specialized when that came out, and my marketing manager was like, "I don't think we can run this in Canada," but I think we did end up like having to translate it to French, which like all of the puns that Specialized has in their ads are like, they send them from the Specialized Global to all the different markets and then they can like use that campaign and use the assets and they have to translate it. 
but so many of them are super clever puns and they just really, really hard to translate. So I remember trying to translate that. It's like, well, sick doesn't just mean sick. It means like sick, but there's not a word in French. <laughs> <laughs> How do you say it in French? Do you remember what it was? I can't actually remember. I was looking for it, but I, I don't, yeah. yeah. It was probably in like a print magazine from 2012 or something. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't effective ad. It was a, a really effective ad, but it could have been like, it's a clever play on words, but it could have been just as clever and just as effective if it had been, was it was Sam Hill on Specialized in 2012? Yeah, I think Sam Hill was yeah. the athlete there. So. Like if it had been Sam Hill in like a doctor outfit, pumping up the tire or whatever. The, the Sam Hill would, scantily clad doctor? Yes, scantily clad, yeah. <laughs> sexy, <laughs> sexy, sexy Sam, Sam Hill. Hill, yeah. He's wearing super short shorts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't think that goes, it goes we you just, have to be even. Like. Yeah, I think we just improved it. I think Maybe. we just improved that ad. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, luckily those aren't, there's kind of tending to go away. I mean, all these companies have great athletes, uh, male and female, and you should just use them mm-hmm. instead of just relying on models that don't ride. Um, and we, you know, we shouldn't just single out Marzocchi or Specialized. Like, I think almost every brand has had some, has had some pretty aggressively bad stuff yeah. over the years. Yeah, exactly. But hopefully, um, yeah, hopefully those aren't quite as common. I think one thing that's interesting now is companies can get instant feedback with their campaigns. You know, you put something up on Pink Bike or on Instagram, and if people don't like it, they'll let you know so fast. Uh, where before, if you put out your print, you know, a print magazine, you might not ever really hear too much blowback or just not even know. So <laughs> somebody might easier. write in. Yeah, you get a letter, handwritten letter. I did not like this, and you're like, oh, whatever, it's one person. But now you can kind of get. For better or for worse, there's that instant feedback. I'm sure some brands like have to pull down their campaigns because they're getting negative feedback a lot more often now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I just had one occur to me since we're talking about garbage. There was, the, and the people that had to change something, the brand that launched in like way, like there was no case for ignorance. It was like 2019, the the super racist Apache bikes in out of the Czech Republic. Oh, yeah, I remember that. You guys that. remember that? Uh-huh. God, like yeah, did they, they have tra- like a whole booth with like they did a whole huge booth and then a launch. Yeah. And it was this their like big coming out party launch. Like we're gonna launch in North America and we're gonna go mm-hmm. big. And they had like the scalp and the like it it was just yeah. horrifically offensive. It was they didn't awful. get the memo. Yeah, no. And some of that, I mean, I'm sure some of those cultural differences as you know they're a little more removed from from here, but it just was not it didn't work. They're not around no. anymore. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I feel like you want to excuse that stuff, put it down to ignorance, but like. The internet exists, guys. Like, yeah, this yeah. This isn't like 1972 where you just don't don't understand that culture or whatever. It's like, <laughs> yeah, come on, yeah, no, that didn't work. The other one we we forgot to mention in the sexist garbage section is the YT Jeffsy ads, mm-hmm. and they yeah. like teased it so much hype for like months and months and months with this like really unhappy woman. I think was just like mm-hmm. the clip and like the print mm-hmm. ads and. It was kind of, she was everywhere, it seemed. And I was like, I don't know what this ad is. I don't know what this bike is, but I don't like it. And it's funny because, like, I still don't really have that much of an affinity for YT. And it's like, I don't know why. And then I'm like, oh, well, maybe that's why. Because it's just, like, ingrained in the back of your mind. You don't know. Like, marketing actually works. And if you don't like the marketing, you know, it's yeah. hard to. So that one, the problem with it for people that haven't seen is that it basically insinuated that, like, it's a couple in a relationship and the woman hates the husband's bike because the the husband spends all the time with his bike instead of with her. And it's just, she was just set up as this stereotype kind of trope. And it was, it was not good. It was uncomffortable. It's like yeah. you And can... they could have flipped it 
Yeah, they could have yeah. lived it. I like that. Or, or just had or just had both. Like they could have done a couple ads, you know, some have the, mm-hmm. the woman in it and some have a man and they could both like hate Jeffsy. Everybody hates Jeffsy except for the person riding it. Yes. You know, yeah, I think sure. there's ways to Because you can't it, ride a mountain thing. bike and have a love and carry relationship. Like they're totally no. at odds with one another. Yeah, obviously not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, the, there was nothing wrong with the joke. It was just the, the stereotype, right? Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah, it just played yeah. it up when it didn't yeah. need to be. Or you could have done a different version of it, but... Um, yeah, we'll go into some more, more strange, less sexist ones. We got the uh, the RockShox Vivid Air launch back in 2014. This one's still a little confusing to me, but when it came out, they had this ad. I remember it being like a video, and basically it said that you wouldn't be able to purchase it unless you had a pro license, which I'm pretty sure was never the case. But a lot of people believed that and just got so mad, like they were furious that somehow somebody could have something they couldn't have, and they were just as good as a pro, but they didn't have a license. I feel like that one might actually be effective. Like it's so it's so disruptive, and I'm I'm sure that's what they were intending. Yeah, like I liked like, it, but I think it blew up probably more than they wanted it to. Uh, yeah, I think Boobar was in one of the ads. He was saying like it was so advanced that many riders would, it was so advanced many riders will never be able to reap the true benefits of its capabilities. Oh. Which it's like <laughs> I like it, but I can just picture people getting so mad. People that like to you know if there are people that want to think they're the best ever and they need the best things. And if they can't have them, they get very angry. So uh, I give that one credit for making people mad, but that wasn't the intent of it. And so I don't think it really worked out. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't think it helped the brand. It might've helped the product and it might've helped in the, in like awareness because people are talking, but I don't think it helped the brand. Yeah, exactly. Brand affinity. Right. The same way Sarah has that little pit in her stomach about YTA. Maybe other people do about rock shocks because of that. Yeah. So um, yeah, more of a funny one. And then, I guess, James, you can kind of talk about this one since you kind of had to chase down details about this bike, but on the specialized status. Yeah, I mean, I tried to chase down details on it. Never, um, <laughs> never got months very far. And months. Um, <laughs> yeah, the specialized status, um, for those, I'm sure you, you're kind of all aware of the bike now, even though it never got officially launched. They didn't do press camps. They didn't do, um, you know, they didn't send out a press release and an embargo and everything like that. Just one day um, there was the hashtag, I think it was like status bike or something like that. And, you know, all these pro BMXers had one and other influencers, not their athletes like Loic Bruni or anyone like that, but these people with maybe larger social media followings or from slightly different scenes to the race scene. Um, and yeah there it was you know it's a few cool. months later it was in shops people could buy it in a shop um but we i mean to this day i've never had any details about it yeah it was kind of a weird one i, I didn't like it i think brian will explain why he liked it but yeah i, I don't like it just because i felt like i was left out and people got to see it before me which the whole point of my job is i get to see <laughs> things before everybody else so i was like well, at least you're honest about it <laughs> yeah yeah like i understood why i didn't like it was weird because i didn't have details but i could have gone down to my local shop and checked it out because they had a few in for sale so um, they're just kind of an odd one. I, I think it probably worked for some people. It's kind of a cool way that if someone gets one, I bet they think that they have purchased something special or they kind of have a little underground scene going. Which, yeah. yeah, like I get it. It's just a little strange. I saw some people riding down the road uh, yesterday on on statuses, and I was I gave it a second look. I was like, oh shit, I haven't seen I haven't seen too many of those. Interesting. Yeah. They must be I, celebrities. <laughs> yeah, well, I have one I, now, so I'm a celebrity. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we knew that. Already, I did. <laughs> I did wonder if they were if they were like Instagram people or if they purchased them. They kind of looked like Instagram people. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we all have Instagram. Have like are we Instagram sticks. people? <laughs> no, we're not Instagram people. No. 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 no, our haircuts are too regular. 
they still got like a fair few articles out of us as well. Like they may not have included mm-hmm. us, but we almost had to include them. That was like the swell around it. You know, we did, I think we did a spotted early on and then we did something like everything we know about this specialized status or something like that. And it was extra, I think it was extra bad for us. I believe what happened is that their big global camp or their big global strategy was to not do anything traditional. No, no bike reviews, no traditional press kits, no launches, no nothing, which is, Hey, that's unique and different. And um, I give credit where credit's due. That's interesting. But then I think some of the regional places did end up like, I think in the UK and a couple of the places they had some bikes and they got them on, on to media. And so I think that's where I got annoyed and it was like, Oh, well, that's frustrating. Like other media has it, but we can't get it. That's, that's annoying. Um, it, you know, it's all worked out. We, I think we've, you know, we've got one now we've got some cool stuff and it's an interesting bike and I, yeah, credit where credit's due. I think that I'm glad people are trying to do different things and I'll never complain about not having a press camp. It's probably um, not too repeatable either. You know, if someone else tries mm-hmm. it now, it'll just be like, oh, well, they're just trying to do what the status did and they've been the first ones to do it. Yeah. They've kind of almost claimed it now, which yeah. is cool. I also, this is, I'm going to put a bold prediction based on absolutely, nobody said anything to me. Uh, this is not like no insider information, but seeing how Specialized is actually selling that one direct in, in a lot of markets, I think, I'm, I almost... Yeah, bold, bold, uninformed prediction is that they're kind of toying with the idea of spinning special or status off into a direct consumer brand. That's my. I'm just going to put that out there. We can we can come back next year. I was right on my other on my GX Axis prediction, so maybe this one will come true too. I think yeah, I think we talked about that at the time because the hashtag was always like status MTB. It was never like anything to do with specialized. And none of the athletes were those like specialized athletes. They were like specifically for this bike. So it's interesting. So I guess we could move into some of the team launches have been a little bit strange too. That's kind of fallen to marketing. If you're a company, you've got your race team, you want to promote them as best you can, but some of them don't always go as planned and some do a really good job. The boot camp with Petey? I don't remember that one. What was I that think one that about? was the when they launched the Santa Cruz Syndicate. They had this was I think I thought I thought it was a good team launch. Like, oh, I do. Yeah, it made me like stoked for like the team and what was to come. I think it was like Steve Pete and Greg Menard were like welcoming. Uh, was it Luca, Loris. Luca and Loris at the time? And they were like, you know, they went through the boot camp and like here's how we do it. And it just had like a good like feeling and like team spirit and like these kids are going to work hard and reach the podium. And I mean. They did pretty well, so yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Do you remember? They had like a whistle. I feel like I kind of remember it now. I was like, coat. They were yelling at him. Oh, I think they were stuff. all in like gray tracksuits or something too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> um, and then there was another one, that crazy polygon one, where I don't know if they like were even launching the team or like relaunching it because I don't think they added any people that year. But when they all dressed up as really old people and did the team yeah. video yeah, that was that. pretty funny <laughs> um that was a weird one they, yeah yeah every year you know teams have to have to launch and show like hey these are our sponsors for the year and these are this is what we're doing even if you don't have a new anybody mm-hmm. new on the team it's still you gotta you gotta kind of show what you're coming with for the season so yeah that was a good one it's extra exciting yeah. when there's new people on the team but yeah we still like the team videos well, unless you do it unless you do it 
Yeah. In a really bad way. Yeah. <laughs> so you had an issue with, with, yeah, there with was, the launch a couple years ago. The, I think it was the Trek factory team, like not the one they just launched with Loris, but two, three years, two years ago. ago. Yeah. And they had Shandro and uh, Cade and they launched a Charlie Harrison. They launched all four riders separately. You know, it's like, just give us one press release. Don't like draw it out and draw it out and draw it out. And it was like, stay tuned for tomorrow. We'll let you know who else is on our team. Yeah. And it's like, oh. People were so annoyed. <laughs> yeah, because like maybe one or two. You could do that for two days, I think. But when you get to four, it's like, who cares? Just tell us all. Like, it's not. Yeah. Also, those guys are sick. But at the time, they weren't super well known. If it had been like yeah. day one, Sam Hill. Day two, Loic Bruni. Day three. You know, like that would have maybe been different. But it was like. Yeah. It just wasn't that. <laughs> yeah, they were kind of like, relative. The they were like juniors. The Two of them were uh-huh. juniors. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. like, yeah. <laughs> Which, like, cool. and, hey, that's super cool. Like, what they've done with that team with the young talent on it is really impressive. And that that is how you build a program rather than just like going out and buying the fastest person in the world. Like, I really like what they've done. Mm-hmm. But just the way they launched that was like, oh, God. Yeah, the rollout <laughs> was painful. <laughs> Yeah, let's see. Oh, and then I guess, yeah, moving on from that, the way that you can do things the right way or things that are memorable kind of falls into really having a good a good initial video. I think these days, having that video that you remember, the one for me, there's that specialized stump jumper video from, was that two years ago now? Yeah. Uh, which is kind of like all the, they kind of poked fun at themselves. They had that voiceover actress and just kind of saying like, it does this. And it's just a really kind of clever, irreverent take on it. And uh, you could tell definitely a lot of production went into it. That is one of the best marketing videos out there. You know, it's it's a launch video. You get all the hype about the bike. They get to say, they it's clever because they get to ironically, but serious, but not serious, say all their marketing words um, and get the point across and show their features and talk about them. But they also acknowledge that they're not taking themselves too seriously. They kind of make fun of some of the stereotypes about specialized. It's, yeah. They're doing a great job. The one they just did for the Levo 2 is really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think in the, in the Stump Jumper one, they even had the marketing guy at the time was drinking Kool-Aid throughout it. Like, yeah. he's just drinking Kool-Aid, which is <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, we'll drop a couple of these in the uh, in the, in the article for this podcast. So. We've got to actually do it, though. We've, a few times we've said we're going to put something yeah. in the article, and then it hasn't We'll, we'll try to remember. Yeah. <laughs> we'll put links to the roundups that James has yeah. done. He's got, the like, the weirdest marketing videos and the best marketing videos. Yeah. Need to um, go back through them. I noticed some of them have been taken off YouTube since the article was published. So I'm not, I'm not oh, saying really? it's related, but <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there were some very weird ones in the weirdest ones. Yeah, very weird ones. I like the Trek Yolanda Neff one. Um, I think uh, Jason, who's now our video production manager, actually worked on that one a little bit with the IFHT crew. Yeah, I like that one because it was like different and it was a story. And um, I mean, it used one of their writers, but kind of like she, I think she was excited about doing some acting as well. So it was kind of, I, th- I just thought it was really fun and super memorable. Mm-hmm. Also cool to see a brand launch, uh, you know, a marquee bike with a with a woman. Doesn't happen that much. Um, and she crushed it and it was great. It did feel a little bit like they were taking some cues from Specialized, but it was good in that sort of irreverent tone, but they did an amazing job on it. Yeah. I think that tone is a good one. If people want to copy a tone, that one's fine. Like the over the top ones are the ones that get to me, but if you want to be goofy and just kind of poke fun and, and just have a good time because again, it's all just bikes. I think that's pretty good or just do really good edits like common saw. 
all of theirs that like, they put out. I don't know. Like it seems like a thousand videos a year. Like so many videos, but they're all really, team. really good. Hardest yeah. working team in the game. It's, it's crazy. Yeah, their video and photo people are so dialed. Like some of the best content coming out are comments all ads, which they're doing their job. Like it's great. You watch one, you're like, oh, it's you know whatever fast rider they have, just absolutely shredding on a bike and. Yeah, I respect that. For when it, when it comes in, you don't cringe. You're like, oh, it's probably going to be a good video. We'll check yeah, it. it's like the Red Bull sound to speed videos for your advertising your new bike. It's kind of mm-hmm. pretty cool. It's, I mean, there are so many videos that come into our email that are like filmed in a day, trail shredded for your new bike or for whatever. And it's painful. It's like, I like this rider. This rider is amazing to watch. Could you please have given them a week and you know let them loose rather than make them ride this sort of like 130 mil bike in mediocre terrain for a ha- an afternoon it's probably their first ride on it too yeah exactly yeah. they just finally <laughs> got the marketing sample set up yeah like yeah the, the other day there was one of george brannigan that came through it was a video it was 37 oh. seconds long oh, like what I the know. hell i want to watch five minutes of brannigan just exploding stuff like don't give me that tease because i don't care it's like <laughs> that's just annoying so but I, yeah we, you're we can't take the time. not we can't not post something as sick as george brannigan but like yeah 30 seconds seven seconds is really just frustrating yeah that's just like not acceptable <laughs> it was doubly so because it was like back in queenstown where he did that edit on trek oh, it's like yeah mm-hmm. i think it's like pound for pound my favorite mountain bike edit and then you open up it's like 37 seconds it's like it is good like he's blowing up turns yeah, like he's going it's fast just, but i just want yeah. so much more i put that i put that original george brannigan edit up on the wall before when we were planning a, a launch video in my previous job i remember putting that up and being like that's some of the influence of this piece <laughs> i know we um we talked about yt and, and on the negative side earlier but i do think they've redeemed themselves in recent years i think yep. they put out some really really good stuff now um there's obviously the michael walken that's not his name is it christopher walken no, Chris, christopher, <laughs> christopher walken um well they did one with vinnie jones for the decoy and uh, they had like the Goatman horror film uh, and the Izzo anime thing as well and they are another brand that um they they don't do maybe the 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 more tongue-in-cheek stuff but it's always original and it's always different and that really kind of grabs your attention yeah, like Christopher Walken's ridiculous. How much did they have to spend? Like, I mean, we didn't talk about money for these things, but the price of getting even a day rate for Christopher Walken, I'm sure, is not cheap. And then and then to make him talk about mountain bikes, like, it was funny. I just I feel like it's the price of one Aaron Gwynn. Yeah, which is a lot. <laughs> and maybe they could, I mean, I don't want to call him out because I like seeing that. It was funny, and I didn't like Christopher Walken. But I also think maybe he could have sponsored some racers and some, like, junior private tier people <laughs> with that money. But... Either way, they're, I remember, well, they're yeah. doing that too, right? Like they are, yeah, they are. Yeah, money. Do, yeah, keep Christopher Walken employed. He's he's a good guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he probably needs that ad campaign, you know, to put yeah. food on the table. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> I wish I could have been in that meeting. Like, what is Christopher Walken's response when someone calls him? Like, a German bike company wants him, and he's probably like, "Oh yeah, that's cool. I'll do that." Like, yeah, I'm I'm sure it went to some publicists and some agents first. And well, yeah, I don't think you yeah, just call him. Yeah. <laughs> just call up Christopher has his Walken. Number, let me know. I would like to call him and we'll go for a ride. What would you say? What would you say to Christopher Walken? Like, hey, Chris, want to go for a ride? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I didn't love the the Goatman one. That one was violent. And yeah, weird. that's what I was, was not my Was not my taste, but I was stoked on that Izzo. Like, that was super creative and different. Oh, yeah, that's cool. Kaz's anime body pillow inspired. It's good. 
Yeah, I don't remember the joke, but I feel like somehow I, I don't remember the joke. I'm in my body pillow. Now. Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> um, that's good. Right. Yeah, well, I think that's a pretty good overview of marketing hits and misses over the years. I'm sure we got. Oh, I've got more one. Coming. I've got oh, yeah, one go more. Oh, I've got one. It's so bad, it's good. The Nikolai bikes. Maybe I've even told the story before, but Nikolai bikes was launching a bike, and they had this big sub. I think it was the Saturn ST, and their their big subsection in their press release was like, we understand that ST used to mean something else like super trail or something. And now it means short travel. We know this is confusing. We're sorry, but we're not very good at marketing. Shrunk. <laughs> like, it was so yeah. good. <laughs> you can own it if you're not going to be good. It works out. So that was a good one. I also like that Santa Cruz chameleon one when they had all the staff at Santa Cruz singing and dancing around the office and the song was really catchy. So you just kind of like hear yourself singing it. And I think that specialized thumb jumper air video from two years ago also had like a song in it and they like tagged it in the uh in the video and youtube and i just like it when there's like a little song to it that's just like it's like an earworm i kind of like it and kind of hate it you know it's like mm -hmm. yeah i think it's yeah i know I, I accidentally watched that chameleon video while we we're brainstorming for this and now it's stuck in my head yeah so. it'll be there it for worked, like at least a month. <laughs> how many santa cruz chameleon carbon chameleons have you purchased since we started this podcast Cass? <laughs> so since today yeah i've already yeah. purchased four my shopping cart's full of them. <laughs> yeah cool yeah i think that wraps up the the marketing talk let's go into some comment gold um oh, the first one is about me cross max says is this bike the reason why mike casmer remains an unpaid intern and that is uh on brian's bike build yes. yeah brian's taking all of the money and i don't get any yeah, exactly. he's mean <laughs> i think that some works. people think you are actually an unpaid intern on the podcast <laughs> no, if anyone is <laughs> If anyone is confused, I am not an unpaid intern. Uh, I actually never have been, but Levy thinks I am. Levy doesn't know that I actually. Yeah, you started off. He's like, I'm here with my bosses, boss, boss, boss. And here, now he's here with his unpaid intern. And I used to be his boss, and then he demoted me to unpaid intern. Yeah. I mean, you're still definitely his boss. I know I am. Yeah, I'm also paid, but yeah. But, uh, but yeah, Brian does have a fancy bike, but that's one of the perks of working in the bike industry. Uh, moving on. We talked about that knife story before where the, uh, the stabbing happened, and NYHC00 says, never bring a bike to a knife fight, <laughs> which is pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I feel like I'm glad we can laugh about that story because the guy, it sounds like he's okay. Hopefully. You went to the hospital. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully he is. Like, yeah, don't. Yeah. Hopefully it's all right. We don't want to be joking about bad things, but I think it seems like he's going to be okay. I always think when I'm out on the trails and there's like potential that there's a grizzly bear that at least I've got my bike though. And I could like hold up my bike and look bigger than the grizzly bear. Yeah. That's my yeah, dad's hear it. The grizzly bears so won't be able to like lift my heavy bike off me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he just starts safe. looking at it. He's like, ooh, like, raw. <laughs> I'm going to go, I'm going to go after a carbon bike. <laughs> yeah. Somebody under a carbon bike, it'll be easier. <laughs> Uh, another comment comes from KCY4130, and this is related to, uh, in relation to Mike Levy's The Free Rider Part 2, kind of his little story articles that have been going up. And he says, just wait till the free rider has to start to blog because his sponsor requires it. That's when things become truly sad. This is depressing. I'm sad now. <laughs> yeah. it, it is true. We, we've seen a lot of that in, in recent years. It is sad to see some absolutely incredible riders and legends of the sport kind of get demoted to uh, like ambassador status yeah like odd vlogger like not everybody can be a youtube personality and some of these guys you wish they didn't have to be because you watch it you're like oh this is painful like you're not this isn't your thing you should just be hawking off stuff and not talking but um yeah, <laughs> that's how it goes 
Yeah. I don't know. Seems I'm like sad talking... now too. KCUI forty one thirty. But we have a wholesome note to end things on. Yeah, Ryan, this one uh, came into you, right? Why don't you tell the story? Yeah, this. Uh, I just want to say it's super cool. A guy who who was bummed at some negative comments on that small manufacturers article we did a long time ago, a couple weeks ago. Um, there was somebody in there saying essentially like, oh, like it's really cool to see all these small manufacturers, not lame, but, and he was like, I wish I could afford, afford a, uh, one of these tie seat clamps and somebody else in the comments bought one for him, like just hit him up privately, like, and not anonymously, but didn't, this isn't something they were like looking for credit for, but just was like, dude, I really appreciated your comment. And I think it's really cool that you, um, that you're looking at, you're interested in people doing this stuff. I'll buy you one if you can't afford one. So we bought him one. That's awesome. I'm trying to figure out who it was so that I can send them some pink bike swag. Cause that's, uh, yeah. yeah, that's super cool. Yeah. I like hearing stories like that. Just like passing it forward or just, yeah, the overall be nice thing and just kind of randomly hooking people up when you can is it's always good to do. Yeah. So yeah, if, if, if that was you, send me a message and, um, and, uh, if, if not, you can, you can get some pink bike stuff or you can just get this imaginary comment gold. Yeah, exactly. That brings us to the end of another podcast. So hopefully y'all enjoyed listening to that. And if you remember any marketing hits or misses that we didn't remember, you can feel free to drop them in the comments. Let us know. Um, also, don't forget to rate the podcast, I think. Do we still say this? I think yeah, you should sure. rate the podcast. Well, yeah. We were looking for five stars, please. Yeah, <laughs> you give us five stars. That's always good. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and stay tuned for another episode next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.